Hey, Uniontown Online. Hope you guys are doing good there at home. Um, I decided to dress down a little and uh, dress kind of like you would. I, I don't have pajamas on. I actually have real real big boy pants on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I actually forgot the shirt that I was going to wear in the service that I was going to wear here as well up in my office. And I got all the way down here and thought, that's okay. I'll take one for the team. It's a little chilly. Um, but that's all right. So, hey, uh, take your Bibles. Go to First Peter chapter 1 this morning. First Peter chapter 1. Uh, just turned there and share a little story with you. I, uh, I spent some time with some family this week. And my, um, my brother-in-law, who's also a pastor, uh, I heard that his family has a little game that they play. Uh, how many times he will pick up his coffee cup uh, and not drink from it. So my goal today is to actually, every time that you see this coffee cup on screen, I'm taking a drink of it, and I'm not just like faking you out, okay? So if you'd like to keep track, you can knock yourself out. You can play the game in the comments if you would. That's up to you. Just thought I'd give you something else to be distracted by if you're like me. <laughs> so this morning, First uh, Peter chapter 1, we pray. Father, give us eyes to see what we need to see in your word today. Father, I pray that we would leave here a little bit more appreciative of the special gift that you've given to us in salvation. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 1. Uh, last week we uh, wrapped up uh, in verse 9. Uh, let me start reading in verse 8 today. Um, we're going to do verses 10 through 12, but I want to ramp up to those verses. Verse 8, First Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you're not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Before I get into the, our chunk this morning, I want to look at, at, at uh, right there in verse 8 where he talks about how you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. So let me, I've not been doing great with giving you some application things for the comments, but here's one for you. What is it that brings you inexpressible joy? I mean, it just fills you so full of joy that you have a difficult time explaining how, how joyful you are about it. Um, it can be a number of things. We, we have one as a family that I'll share here in a second. I just wanted to make sure I got my first sip out of the coffee out of the way with. Um, but I have one that we'll, we'll share this weekend. Uh, my wife and I welcomed a daughter to our family. Um, we, Stephanie was not pregnant. She didn't hide it. Uh, we didn't adopt. Uh, but my oldest son uh, was married on Saturday to uh, Grace Audrey Wangler, who is now Grace Audrey Taylor. Um, the inexpressible joy doesn't even begin to, to touch it. Um, there's a lot and I'm not going to get into it because I could be the blubbering dad uh, and I won't do that. Uh, I'll save that for later. But, but that's, that's something that gives me great joy, um, to see your children. And it's not just Jordan's, the other three as well, um, who, who really do love Jesus. They wrestle with their faith. They, they, they try to understand more and more. They try to apply it well. And, uh, um, there, there's nothing greater than watching your children grow up and, and see them reach different points in their life uh, that give them unique opportunities to bring glory to God. And for Jordan in this season, it's, it's God has brought him a wonderful wife, uh, a lady who is going to push him and challenge him in ways that uh, I am excited to see. 
Um, so inexpressible joy. I mean, I, I can't even begin to explain to you why it's so meaningful to us, why it's so encouraging. But what gives you inexpressible joy? What is it for you? Well, Peter is talking about the salvation of your souls, how that brings about inexpressible joy. What salvation? What salvation? What's the salvation we've been talking about for the past few weeks? It's the one where we've received mercy, we've received grace, that we've been given hope and an, an inheritance, right? That that permanent and and protected inheritance. We've been given a deliverance. We have been redeemed, rescued, ransomed, justified, adopted. We have a standing before God now where we stand sinless, okay? So, so there's the, the delineation of all the facts. Those are all the, the words. That's, that's the picture of salvation. And salvation ha- has been consistently presented as something that was coming throughout the Old Testament. And, and I just want to give you just a little, little picture and understand that the, the Bible itself is a consistent story that points to the deliverance that is now ours. It started way back with creation. In that moment that, that God said light, and there was light. God said sea and sky, and there was sea and sky. God said land, and there was land and trees and flowers and grass. And then, then God started to fill it with, with creatures. And he said, okay, now, or sun, moon, stars, then the creatures. Sorry, I forgot to, forgot some important pieces of creation. Sun, moon, stars, and then it was birds and fish and, and, and animals on the sixth day. And, and on the sixth day, he also created something amazing. He created people. I mean, he, he, he breathed into people the breath of life. He, he created them to take his image. And so all humans are created in the very image of God and, and are due um, respect, um, honor, and, 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 and the ability to look at a person and understand that there is dignity in them because they've been created in God's image. And God, after creating people, he, he loved them so much. He did some amazing things to show that love to them. I mean, they lived in a garden of perfection. Think about that. I mean, there's no, no, no sickness, no shame. I was going to say no pollen. That's probably not true because it's just pollen wouldn't have made them sneeze. It wouldn't have made them sick because there was no sickness. So it was this perfect place. Um, but, but God has an enemy. And his enemy is Satan. Satan uh, used to be an angel. Sorry. A rabbit just ran at me. <laughs> I thought I was about to be attacked at the knees, but, but it turned. So I'm okay. Um, God has an enemy whose name is Satan. And Satan used to be an angel. But at some point, he began to think that God was, was holding out on him. God was um, um, owed him something that he refused to give to him. And so in his arrogance and in his pride, he tried to take the rightful place of God. And God had to kick him out of heaven. And Satan wants revenge, and so he wants to hurt God. And so he goes after what God loves most, Adam and Eve. And, and God had given Adam and Eve that, that first couple, this, this one rule, right? Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You, you'll think you'll, you, you'll know it all. You'll think you don't need God, and it's going to ruin you. So don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes and he challenges that. He says, you know, does God really love you? I mean, if God really loved you, he would not say no to you, which that explains some of our problems today. It's the lie of Satan telling us that when we're told no, uh, it's God holding out on us. And so nobody should ever say no to you. And, and, and that brings up all kinds of problems, as you can imagine, and witness daily just by turning on your television set or walking through your neighborhood. See, see God must know how good it is 
and he wants to keep it for himself. So it's, isn't it sad that, that God would withhold something so very good from you? And, and, and he uses that avenue to tempt Adam and Eve, and they eat the fruit, and everything changed. Everything changed. Sin brought consequences that affect humanity to this day. There's shame and embarrassment. When God walked into the garden calling for them, they hid themselves. There's, there's judgment that comes, rightful judgment. So, so now God is feared. Sin brought death. Things that have been created to last forever now decay and be, they, 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 they decay and, and that, that, that's inevitable, inevitable at this point. And worst of all, the relationship between man and God is shattered. Right? Mankind will continue to run from God, will continue to hide from God. But in, in that moment, God makes them a promise. It's called the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first proclamation of the good news, the first proclamation of the gospel. And it's in that moment, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's going to be enmity between you and the woman talking to the snake, between her offspring and your offspring, and he, her offspring, is going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to bruise your head. That's the picture of the one that would come to crush the serpent and to bring us victory. And so with that... (laughs) Hundreds of years of promises began. Prophecies after prophecy after prophecy. And and the looking forward to the fulfillment of those prophecies. The looking forward to the fulfillment of the reconciliation of God and man, right? And so from, from Genesis 3 on, really, you get a picture of the prophets who continued to talk about salvation, but they didn't quite get it. And that's what, that's what Peter's talking about here. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, the ones who prophesied to you about the grace that would come to you. Now, there was always grace with God. It's just this was a specific application of grace. And it's this grace that would, would come to you. They searched and they carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance the sufferings and when that would happen who it would be so so the picture that peter paints of these prophets is um, busy active diggers into truth trying to understand trying to comprehend everything that that was being said everything that they were saying everything that they were prophesying right you look at daniel chapter 8 and daniel chapter 12 there's two instances where where daniel sees the visions that he is laying out for the kings. He sees the prophetic announcements that he is making. And it says he didn't know what they were. He, he didn't understand them. He, he, under, he saw, but he didn't know what it meant. And so he was sharing, not fully understanding the full fulfillment of the prophecy. But it wasn't because Daniel wasn't trying. Doesn't wasn't because other prophets weren't trying. The prophets here, see, took a drink that way. There's no... No way there. I'm going to put my cup down now so you all lose. All right. Um, the, the reality is they, they were trying. They're described, as, as Peter describes them, uh, as searching and carefully investigating, inquiring. The picture is digging deeply, considering a matter from every point of view. This intense study, like you're looking for a lost treasure. I mean, the prophets longed to know the hope that they were prophesying about. And when I say longed to know the hope, it wasn't to know the hope. They longed to see it, taste it, feel it, experience it. I mean, think, think about that. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesying in chapters 52 to 54, 53 in particular, but 52 to 54, prophesying about the, the suffering servant, the one who would 
come and bring healing with his scourging. The one who who would be later glorified, who would carry away all of our iniquities. As he prophesied that, don't you think that in his heart of heart he was crying out, who, who is this one going to be? When? 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 How long, O oh Lord, until this happens? I mean, the other one that always comes to mind, think about Zechariah as he's prophesying about this king, this humble king who's going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, bringing righteousness and victory. Don't you think Zechariah was like, please, Lord, let that happen. And what is that picture that you have me saying? I don't even understand it myself. How does that work? How does a king riding on a donkey make any sense? In, in uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, I don't have time to jump into that completely this morning, so I'm just going to make mention of it and have you um, just, just look at it. In fact, some Bibles have, so my Bible, I'll just use my Bible as an example. My Bible has um, Old Testament passages that are mentioned in the New Testament, bold. And so when you look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you find is that Paul, uh, who in, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, is, is really um, unfolding the 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 mystery of salvation, I'll call it that. Um, And he does it by continuously referring to Old Testament prophecy. More than than 20 times he uses the prophetic word from from Moses, from Isaiah, from Hosea. Um, He uses texts out of Genesis, texts out of Exodus. Here's Isaiah again. Uh, Texts out of Leviticus, out out of Deuteronomy, out of Kings. I mean, he, he just continues to refer to the Old Testament to point to the explanation of the mystery of, of salvation. And, and as Peter says, these prophets who wrote those things, they were digging to know the when and the who. When would the Redeemer come? How would this happen? Who would it be? Each one of those prophets held a piece of the puzzle. But they didn't have the whole thing. And that's the beauty of Scripture. The beauty of God's Word, the, the Word that we take so for granted. The beauty of Scripture is that as you begin to read it, the entire puzzle begins to take shape. The entire puzzle begins to look like something finally. Uh, the other day, my daughter and I uh, had a little father-daughter challenge. Uh, one evening, we were watching The Wheel of Fortune. Um, that's a great theological show, in case you're wondering. You'll get my point in a second. But as you first see the puzzle with all the all the spots with no letters in it, and it just says, this is a thing. Well, that's really helpful, right? But as the letters begin to pop up and populate those spots, it begins to, to unfold in front of you. You begin to get the picture, except there's always one word you just can't get. But, but, but eventually, that will, the letter is going to pop into place, and the lights are going to go on and as we, we goofed off and played and messed around and competed against each other, that happened time and time and time again, where all of a sudden you get a piece of the puzzle and it's like, oh, it all makes sense now. So, so think about um, Jesus is, is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected from the dead. Um, there's disciples, it says, who are leaving Jerusalem and they're heading to Emmaus. And... And suddenly there's two of them, and suddenly they're joined by another one who, they don't know who it is. He's not wearing a name tag, but it's Jesus. And as they're walking, being the Eeyores, oh, this is so sad, I can't believe this happened. He says, well, why are you so upset? What What's going on? And they're like, where, where have you been? I mean, did you just crawl out from under a rock? How do you not know what's going on? And they tell him, him Jesus, 
uh, <laughs> that about what happened to Jesus. And you've got to imagine in your head, Jesus listening to them like, you don't say. <laughs> but when their story is done, Jesus' story begins. Jesus' story begins. And it says that he begins to unpack the scriptures, beginning with Moses and going through the prophets. And he begins to show them and reveal to them those pieces of the puzzle and how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, in fact, fulfills all of those prophecies of the Old Testament. See, though the prophets had the pieces, you and I have the totality of the prophecy, the totality of Scripture. See, we know who Jesus is. We know about his virgin birth in Bethlehem to his parents who are from Nazareth. We know his works. We know his life. We know his arriving in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. We, we know the price of his betrayal was 30 pieces of silver. We know his death burial. Uh, we, we know he was crucified between two thieves. We know about his resurrection. We know about his appearing to the disciples in the upper room. We know about all those different things. Because for us, on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, we have all of those pieces formed and fashioned into the perfect puzzle. The suffering Messiah of Isaiah is now the glorified Messiah. And don't, don't miss the emotion in this that Peter's trying to communicate. Can, you got to be able to feel the ache of the prophets as they search, as they inquire so carefully. I'm saying this. I'm prophesying this. God has communicated this to me, and I don't fully understand it. The, the words that are used to describe their actions are packed with, with feeling and intensity. I mean, as they spoke those words, they had to be longing for the fact that, that please, would, would this Messiah be revealed in my time? I want to see the fulfillment of these things. I want to see the great hope that has been promised. I want to taste it. I want to touch it. I want to experience it. But they weren't able to. And so what Peter tells us, verse 12, is revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. Think about that for a moment. Because of them pointing us to the Messiah, We see Jesus as the Messiah. We know him as our wonderful Savior. The prophets weren't as privileged, but we are. See, see, the Old Testament prophets aren't just applied to us. They're not just applicable to us. They're meant for us. It's written to us. And it unveils this precious and beautiful salvation. How great a salvation is ours. Peter continues, he doesn't just talk about the prophets. He then talks about a group of created beings. He talks about the angels. Look at the end. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Angels who are in heaven at this time longing to look into the fulfillment of this message of salvation. The the angels, they're not recipients of salvation, okay? But they're certainly excited about it, right? Um, They're... they're, uh, they're seeing things we don't see, okay? They're not perfect in knowledge, so, so they don't have the full understanding of it, but they're seeing things, and they're not omnipresent, so they're not everywhere all at once, but they're seeing aspects of it, and it's got to be blowing their minds. In fact, you, you, you get a little bit of a glimpse of it as every time we're exposed to angels when the message and story of redemption is being revealed. But, but think about some of the questions that have to be going through their head. I mean, they're created beings who exist in heaven, and so they're familiar with God and his activity, so they have to be thinking, how, how is it possible? How is it possible that God, the Holy One, Holy, 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 the angels of Isaiah chapter 6 say, Holy, holy, how is it possible that the holy one can be just? He can be holy. 
And he can be the one who makes other people holy. He can be the one who, who justifies. How is it possible, as Exodus 34 says, that he will not clear the guilty, and yet he can display mercy and grace to the guilty? How do those two things go together? How is it possible that the holy God would humble himself so much that he would go to earth and die like one of his creatures? How is that possible? I mean, I'm going to really dumb it down. I'm sorry for, 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 for this, but, but when do you hear a story where the hero steps in and dies so that the villain can live life full and free? I mean, that, that, so, so the angels are seeing this, and as it is unfolding, they continue to be enthralled by it. It says they long to catch a glimpse of these things. There's, there's a couple of words there that you need to understand. They long. That is the word epithumia. The, the idea of that is, in a negative sense, lust. In a positive sense, this strong, innate desire intensely develops within them, and they just they want to see it. They long to see it. They long to catch a glimpse. That means to look into it. That means to look deeply into the bottom of a thing. And this is something, and they, they long to see it played out. And, it, and it's such a passion for them. Every time, they're expo- every time we're exposed to their touching uh, the story of redemption, we see celebration, right? Think about it. To the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I mean, there's, there's enthusiasm and great excitement. You, you flash forward to the book of Revelation. You see great worship and excitement over the proclamation of the completed gospel, the fulfilled gospel, the, the consummated gospel. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus actually tells us that, that there is more celebration in heaven before the angels when one repents than when uh, uh, um, more joy over one sinner who repents. There's um, just great joy and enthusiasm. So, so, so there's this, this feeling of euphoria. They don't get to experience it. But man, they're happy that you do. How great a salvation is ours that even angels view us like that so fortunate and blessed. How great a salvation is ours that the prophets who God used to describe salvation longed to know it, longed to enjoy it for themselves. If the onlookers, the ones who couldn't taste it, were so excited about that, what about those of us who have experienced it? How great is your salvation? How precious is it to you that Jesus Christ humbled himself and became a man just like the prophets said he would. That he lived a holy life just like the prophets said he would and died a sinner's death just like the prophets said he would for you. That he conquered sin and death and the grave just as they said he would. And as a result, God rejoices over us as his own just as they said he would. I mean, how great a salvation is yours. And if you don't have salvation, there's no magic mantra, okay? And I'm not going to get a rabbit trail. I want to close out here, but there's no magic mantra. There's, there's no stairs to climb. There's no gift big enough that you can give. It's simply coming to the place where you admit to God that you're a sinner and that there's nothing you can do about it yourself. But Jesus Christ came to die in your place. And so you repent. And you call on Jesus and ask him, Jesus, would you be my Savior? No sinner who is seeking mercy has ever been turned away. Neither will you. 
how great the salvation is ours. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. Is it true that you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy? Um, I need to work on that this week. How about you? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for how good it is, how true it is, uh, how, how cleansing it is. Thank you for the perfection of the story of your word from beginning to end, how it all points to Jesus and only Jesus. Father, I pray that you would watch over us. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.